Drama on One. Sundays at 8pm. rta.ie forward slash drama on one. Drama on One. You're listening to RTE Radio 1. Drama on One is offered as a podcast at rte.ie forward slash drama on one and of course here on RTE Radio 1 on Sunday nights. Shakespeare says that all the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players. Jake's in As You Like It outlines the parts men play as they cycle through the seven stages and ages in their lives. Infancy, the whining schoolboy, the lover, the soldier, the justice, the lean and slippered pantaloon and eventually into second childishness. I'm sure, however, that there's a body of feminist scholarship that suggests that some men graduate slowly from stage one to stage two and progress no further. But perhaps that's a conversation for another day. Back in 2004, RTE Drama on One invited writers Maeve Binchy, Aidan Matthews, Mannix Flynn, Patrick McCabe and John Banville to respond to The Seven Ages of Man. Tonight, we continue those reflections with Paula Meehan's take on The Lover. Lisa Lamb plays Cinta, a teenager grappling with the Siamese twin emotions of love and grief. This play contains themes listeners may find challenging. But now, fresh from her appearance on Leaving Cert English Paper 2, Paula Meehan introduces The Lover. When um, Kevin Reynolds approached me with this idea for the series and told me that I, I would get the card The Lover, um, even before he'd finished the pitch, I began to hear the stirrings of Cinta's voice and Cinta basically came to me very clearly, very strongly as a character. And I felt like rather than just writing it, that I was actually eavesdropping on an already existing story. So my work as a writer was a real pleasure in, in the process. I mean, basically, I let her tell me what she wanted to say and I took it down. I mean, she dictated to me in a sense. And I'm just very interested in that process that there are these characters who are hanging about maybe in your subconscious or some part of the mind and then an idea like this can just trigger them into being and then they stand like fully formed in front of you and really they're calling the shots. Nick Drake again. on my case. Now, pen, paper. Okay, here goes. Dear ma'am, no, no. Dear Estelle, no, definitely not. That sounds wrong. I never called her Estelle when she was alive. Starma, karma. Okay. 
Dear ma'am, the councillor, no, my councillor, Ivor Hogan, my bereavement councillor, actually, said I should have a go at writing you a letter. No, that's not it either. How the hell do you start? Dear ma'am, I've been attending counselling since your suicide and Ivor Hogan, the very nice man who counsels me, said I should write you a letter regularly and tell you how I'm feeling about things. No one need ever read the letters, but they'd be a way of expressing my grief. I can tear them up or burn them when I finished. Or I could keep them as a kind of... What did he say? A kind of emotional diary. A soul diary. Ivor talks like that. sounds ridiculous. All I know is you are lump in my throat when I think of you. A pain under my heart. I keep holding my left breast like the pain is physically there. Bloody hell. Okay. Again. Now. Dear Mama, Bulletin from the living. From this side of the great divide. I fell in love last week with a boy called John. He has green eyes and curly brown hair. I wish he was here with me now and us curled up in the bed. I love the smell of him. He's written me a poem. I'm not sure what it means exactly. He compares my eyelashes with the water weeds at the foot of the bridge. Oh, that sounds even more ridiculous. If I could only get started. How do you write to the dead anyway? Do you pretend they're still alive and up to speed with what's going on in your life? Ivor says I can set the terms myself, that it's really myself I'm writing to and what matters is the expression of what's on my mind. I only really have the one thing on my mind. More John. More John. More John. I'm sore from last night. I can hardly write that to ma'am. Even if she's dead. Dear ma'am, he did me good. I'm sick for the want of him. When I think about him, something turns over in my stomach or my womb. See, that's the crux of the matter. I'd never really say things like that to my mother. Okay. One more go. blow your head off. No wonder he sits listening to that miserable music all day. All songs sung by dead people. That's where I should start. Ah, dear ma'am, since you so thoughtfully topped yourself, Dad is going quietly round the twist. He smokes South African weed all the time. 
He hasn't been in work since you... went. Owen passed his eleventh birthday in a kind of catatonic trance. <sighs> you know the way he worries because his birthday falls on Stevens's day? In case he won't get his quota of birthday presents as well as Santa presents. But all Christmas has come to mean to us is your present, Mum. That was some birthday present, Ma. Some Christmas present. A Christmas box. Right in the guts. Oh, yeah. A box. A punch. A blow. Stop. You see, Ma, it ain't easy. When I go in to tuck Owen up for the night, his face is a puddle of tears. He blames himself. We all blame ourselves. I hope Dad hasn't woken him. You'd know he'd find you. He'd be in first from school. He'd find you there, dead in the bed. No, no, no. I'm sorry. No blame, no anger. First time in my life My eyes are wide open Oh my love For the first time in my life My eyes can see I see the wind Oh, I see the trees Everything is clear to me now. Dad plays it over and over. Over and over. Do you hear it, do you? Do you? Wherever you are. said if I was stuck I should just look out the window and describe what I saw and take it from there. <sighs> Dear Mum, it's nearly one in the morning here in the land of the living. There's a full moon shining over the green and most of the lights are out now in Harmony Park. Dad's below listening to sounds from his youth, from both your youths. Owen is fast asleep. Dad bought him a leopard gecko for Christmas. It was Ivor's idea, really. He said the responsibility might help, having something to look after. I think he meant a puppy, but Dad, I'd say, stoned out of his head, got talked into buying the lizard in the pet shop. 300 euro altogether, what with the glass thing he lives in. In fact, the same leopard gecko, Iggy, is responsible for me falling in love. I'd gone into town for its special food, crickets. They're sold in egg boxes. Iggy has to have live food. It was on the half-five bus that I met him, John. It was a miserable wet February day and I barely caught it. I was soaked to the skin, but at least I got a seat upstairs. 
The bus crawled along. It was hot and steamy. I must have fallen asleep. I felt a tug on my arm. Excuse me. Excuse me? I woke up looking into the most beautiful set of eyes on the planet. Green. So unbelievably green, I thought a whole new word should be coined for it. Really? Oh, I felt like I was falling into them. Down, down, down through a forest canopy of green. Everything stopped. I swear. The bus stopped anyway in a traffic jam. Your egg box is singing. They were his first words to me. Your egg box is singing. Of course, what had happened was the pet shop had given me singing crickets. You can specify, you know, silent or singing. Anyway, there I was on the bus falling into John's green eyes, so I didn't know his name was John or that before the night was out I'd be deflowered. Now that's a word you don't hear much anymore, ma. This letter has gone off track, dear mother. What was I on about? The crickets, the bus, John. Yes, John. Your egg box is singing. And he was right. There was the absolute silence of the bus stopped in traffic and singing its little heart out. A cricket. Everyone listening to it. Here, ma'am. I'm sending the sound to you now. Through the veil that is between the living and the dead. Between your world and my world. That was the sound I fell in love to. Hear it again, ma'am. The bus pulled off and I dragged my eyes away from the young fellow beside me whose name I didn't even know yet. I looked right through the condensation on the window pane and where a rivulet had washed a clear space. Oh, I saw that I'd gotten on the wrong bloody bus. The 29 instead of the 29A, which means, as you know, okay as you once knew with human consciousness when you were alive, that it doesn't go into Harmony, but on past the estate and up the main road. It's a 15-minute walk back. And it was lashing. I think I said this to Green Eyes. There was a lot of fluster, and John rang the bell, insistently. The bus actually stopped. John shouted down the stairs to the driver. Emergency, stop. A girl is sick. I stood up, and the bottom fell out of the paper bag. It had disintegrated with all the wetness on the floor. There were apples and oranges. They went all over the place and everyone was scrabbling under their seats. John gathered them in front of his hoodie and the next thing I know, we are standing on the side of the road in kinks. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we just couldn't stop. And the rain was lashing into us. Then he just kissed me in the rain. It was bitter cold and the rain was nearly knocking us off our feet. I could smell the oranges from his hands. He walked back with me to the house. There was nobody in. Owen had a swimming class and was gone back to Shane's for dinner. There was a note from Da on the table. Gone to see a man about a dog. Back late. A 50-euro note under the candle. That could mean anything. He was off on the piss or gone to score some grass. I felt suddenly shy. I didn't even know this guy's name. And he 
Here we were, taking off our soaking clothes up with a hot press and wrapping ourselves in the good blue towels. Everything was suddenly different. Even the taste of myself, like a chemical reaction or something. Everything has a kind of shimmer around the edges. And there was the smell of oranges. My hair! As you well know, did I ever stop moaning about it, it goes frizzy when it's wet. What did John say? You have the most beautiful hair I've ever seen. It's like burnished gold or beaten bronze. He lifted me up and carried me into your room. I was going to explain, but then it felt okay. He pulled back the covers on the bed and tucked me up into it. When I write it down, it feels like this is a desecration. And your mother not even cold in her grave. Dad would say. In fact, says a lot these days when he wants to lay it on with the trowel. Oh God, I can't put that down in a letter to my mother. Like a confessional. So, dear ma'am, I'll draw a discreet veil over what happened next. Here's the rain drumming on the extension roof instead and pouring down the gutters. The rain stopped. A huge quiet came over the house and I fell asleep. John, I finally knew his name, was shaking me awake. It was Owen. I could hear the fridge door slamming closed. Me and John, dressed like thieves in the night, crept downstairs. I was hoping I could sneak him out without Owen noticing. Oh no. Big ears. What were you doing up there? Says Owen. And he's scanning us with his eagle eyes. Scan, scan, scan. He knows well. Um, uh, studying. Yeah, right. And the first actual leer. An actual technical ear comes over Owen's face. <clears throat> Does Dad know he's here? Talk about being saved by the bell. Shane rings in for him and he just grabs his jacket and runs. He's halfway down the garden and he turns and he gives me this mad grin and then he starts oh, fondling his crotch and dry raging his hips. Then Shane and him jump over the wall and head away over to Shane's gaff. Oh, oops. Sorry, ma'am. I know you hated that word. This is not a gaff, it's a home. You'd sit down there at the kitchen table in your dressing gown and light up. And we were always leaving you in it, in the stew of your life, the broth of your life. We went out the door every morning and left you in it. Dart money, bus fare, loan a ten euro, lunch money, money for a copybook, money for mobile credit, money for the toll, knew this, knew that, knew the other. Hands out, gimme, gimme, gimme. I never thought of after and what you did when the house was yours again. Oh. I've lost track now, ma'am. Where was I? Here it is. Yes. Owen and Shane ran off. Me and John keyed in each other's mobiles and he headed out across the green. Oh. Looks so beautiful. Oh, he is so beautiful. I can't tell you. I can't even begin. I stayed at the door till the very last glimpse that could be caught. And then I was at the window upstairs. Even after he turned the corner, I watched for ages. 
I got a text. I texted back. The mobile became like an extension to my hand. And we were onto each other all the time. And I mean all the time. All that first night. I heard Dad come in about three in the morning. I knew by the sounds he was making that he was drunk. He knew he was drunk though, and he was doing everything with exaggerated care. Oh, the next morning was nuts. Dad was sick as a parrot. Owen had gone back into the numb zone. I don't know where he goes when he goes in there, but there's no reaching him. He was first off. I knew not to even look at Dad. Then I left. I'll never know what tipped him off. I left your bedroom really neat. Owen swears he said nothing. But when I got in from school, there was a change in the house. I came in the back door and was heading upstairs to get change and get out as quick as I could to go meet John at Sutton Cross. We were going to go for a walk. Dad was standing very tensely by the door of the front room. Cinta, could I have a word? I followed him in. He stood in front of the stove and I sat in the red chair. My heart sank. I figured I was in for it. Uh, Cinta, you're becoming a young woman. A young lady, indeed. From now on, I think you should call me Christopher. Or, or Chris, if you like. He knew nothing, I thought. Thank God. It was just normal. As he said, father-daughter stuff. Coincidental, sure, that it happened the day after my deflowering, but a coincidence nonetheless, I figured. John didn't laugh when I told him all that. He started to cry. Can you believe it? We were up the roadies. If it wasn't pissing down, we'd have been looking out all over Dublin. The alleged view, he called it. Do you remember we had a picnic up there for my 16th? You can't imagine, ma'am, how completely different every single thing is in our lives now. Or maybe you can. Can you? Anyway, it was getting dark. And he asked about you. You never mention a mother, he said. Like a statement, not a question. I didn't tell him you killed yourself, ma'am. I'm not sure how to say it yet. I just told John that you got very sick and died. He never actually asks questions. Or if he does, they're always asked in a way that gives you the option not to answer them. If you know what I mean, not like an interrogation. So yeah, I, I told him you were sick and you died. We were in under a rhododendron and it was real dry in there. The rain made everything smell lovely. Oh, John's skin so smooth <laughs> he has these freckles over his nose but every single thing about him was just so beautiful is just so beautiful I took John home to meet Dad today after school <laughs> will you listen to that now He's back on Sandy Denny again. <laughs> that was your favourite song. Across the evening sky 
Officially spring. St. Bridget's Day. There are even daffs coming out along the motorway. Yeah. John met Dad today. We came in just as he was finishing off cooking a pasta thing. His face was red and sweaty and he the big pot over the sink transferring the pasta into the colander. I think he was going to dish it up. There were a couple of plates on the table and Owen was sorting out Iggy's grub. Dad asked John if he wanted some. <laughs> He did. We all stood there awkwardly watching Iggy chase his dinner around his uh, habitat. He had just shed his skin so he was chewing on that too. I didn't know what to say. Neither did anyone else and the silence dragged on and on. I was beginning to feel the beginning of a giggling fit bubbling up. <laughs> I looked at Owen and we both just lost it. Dad was beaming at John. I think he fell instantly in love with him too. We all ate the pasta and John knew loads of cool stuff from the web about lizards and singing crickets, their importance in Chinese culture. And Dad was really happy that Owen was out of the numb zone, even for a little bit. And maybe he was happy for me too that I was out of my numb zone. There. The sounds are off. That means Dad has gone to sleep at last. When John left... We found his hat stuck down the side of the armchair. Planning to come back for it, is he? Dad said. I'm running out of stuff to tell you, Mum. I don't want to get all mushy. My hand is tired. Worn out. I've just had a text from John. He has an essay due in tomorrow. That's something we have in common. Last minute merchants. I'd love to post this to you. Take a stamp from the book in the olive bowl on the shelf, where they're still kept, ma'am. Walk out now across the green and through the sleeping estate, down the main road and post it in the box at Riley's Wall. Or I could walk on down to the sea and tear it up into flitters and toss it into the waves. I have to see the councillor tomorrow. He asked me to do this letter thing and I put it off, of course, to the very last minute. I get off school for the morning to go see him. And if I'm not up to going in for the afternoon, that's cool. Sometimes I just have to come home and go to bed. Yes, I've written to my dead mother. Yes, it got stuff off my chest. Yes, it got easier as I got going. Mum, I won't be showing this letter to him or anything. 
and he knows nothing about John and me falling in love and losing my virginity. Imagine. He knows none of it. So, maybe I'll say nothing and see does he notice anything. Or see how long I can keep it to myself. A secret. Because when you talk about things, it can feel like you're giving them away. And it is impossible anyway to tell anyone what anything is really like. And I'm afraid that if I talk about John and love, I'll cheapen them. And start to change it all so that in a few visits time, it'll be like talking about something that never happened to people who never existed. And now, now I think I'm going to stop. Your loving and forgiving daughter, Cinta. For who knows how my love And who knows where the time That was Lisa Lam as Cinta in The Lover by Paula Meehan. If you've been affected by any of the issues raised in the play, help is available at rte.ie forward slash helplines. The producer was Daniel Reardon. Drama on One. Sundays at 8pm. rte.ie forward slash drama on one. Drama on One.